You can be opening your Bibles to 1 Corinthians and also 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 2, uh, and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, I have done uh, in the past month or so uh, something I don't usually do, and that is uh, preach many series that aren't and by many, not M-A-N-Y, I know my secular accent sometimes come out, many instead of, I say many instead of many. It was a many, M-I-N-I, series uh, on, on prayer. And now, as I was doing that, one part of that was Thanksgiving, and wow, that, just, that subject kind of opened up to me. So I'm going to now do this other mini-series leading to Thanksgiving, uh, on thankfulness. And today we're going to be thankful for, for the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God gives us. But overall, we're just going to be thankful for God's gifts. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, uh, the Bible says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And what they're talking about there is the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift to us that we cannot even put into words. It is inex- he is inexpressible. He's so great and so wonderful. But I want you to take that and understand something about that. And that is that everything in our life that God has given us has been given to us because Jesus indeed paid it all on the cross. That everything that is ours in Christ is because of what he did on Calvary's cross. So he won for us the will of God for us and, and, the, and the fulfillment of all the promises of Scripture. That's why First, uh, Second Corinthians 1, it says, as many as may be the promises of God in him and Jesus, they are yes. And so it is in Christ that we have all these gifts he's given us. So this week we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Next week we'll be talking about the fruit of the Spirit, gifts that God has given us because of what Christ has done for us. And so the gifts are discussed in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, chapters 12, 13, and 14. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look there today at those. And I call today's sermon, When Regifting is Good. Everybody know what regifting is? Yeah, okay. So I went, oh yeah, okay, you got some bad gifts, I guess. Um, no, regifting doesn't mean it's a bad gift. Regifting means somebody gives you a gift and you're appreciative, of course, that they were thoughtful and wanted to give you a gift. But it just, it's not something you can use. It might not even be something you desired. They thought it was great uh, and they wanted to remember you. And so, again, you're grateful. But so you just kind of put it away and one day you go, oh, I could give that to so-and-so. And uh, they would appreciate it and you pass it along. You regift it is what we call it. Now, that's not a bad thing to do unless you give it back to the person who gave it to you. And that's... <laughs> Oh, that's bad when that happens. Uh, but God gave us gifts and, and he wants us to re-gift them. But the thing you have to remember is as we re-gift God's gift, we're really giving them back to him. We, we, we use them for the, the enrichment, the building up of the body. And that's the only, that is the main reason for spiritual gifts. But as we do so, we, we're giving a gift to God. We are saying, thank you for this. I want to use it for your glory. Uh, but imagine that, that uh, it's your birthday and, and there was something you've been wanting, you've wanted a long time and it's kind of expensive and you couldn't really afford it. You wouldn't spend the money on it or something like that. But your family, your friends, they all got together, they pitched in and they got you that gift and they're having a little party at your house 
And everybody comes in and they give you the gift and they wait expectantly and you open it and sure enough, you're blown away. Wow, this is amazing. I can't believe you did this. Thank you so much for this gift. And uh, so the party goes on. So you set it down, you put it on the kitchen counter and you go enjoy the party. And 365 days later, that gift's still sitting there. Now, next year, when it comes around to your birthday, they're not going to be so enthusiastic to give you another gift, are they? You said you appreciated it. You acted excited about it at the beginning, but you just set it on the shelf. You see, God gives us gifts. He expects us to use them. My parents grew up uh, through the Great Depression, and so we'd get new clothes at Christmas, and we'd put them on. And my mom would say, now, don't dog those out before you get to wear them to church, you know. Uh, you know, that, those are school clothes. Don't put those on. And, and it was, you almost got this sense of don't use the gift, but that's the opposite of what God wants us to do with the gifts he gives us. He wants us to take them and try to wear them out because you can't. He wants us to use them for his glory and and you say well i don't know what my spiritual gift is uh, let me next week I, I debated whether to do next week this week and this week next week or the way i'm doing it because i believe and and i believe i'm right in this if you are exercising the fruit of the spirit which we'll talk about next week you will be exercising your gift whether you know what it is or not all right that that that, that is kind of what's happening and so that leads me to that to the statement i want you to keep in mind today is that the way in which you help others determines what your spiritual gift is that's you'll know it by how you help other people out but i i want you to understand first of all today that your talent is not your gift we're in first corinthians 12 and i'm gonna have to kind of read as i go because i'm going to talk about every verse and it's a lot of verses so i'll just kind of point things out as we go but a talent is not a gift and your gift is not a talent there's a difference a gift is something given to you in a spiritual way the holy spirit gives you a gift at salvation when you come to know jesus christ when you first confess him as lord and say i give up my life i surrender everything to you and and you've heard that call of god and you surrender your life to god the holy spirit comes to live in you and as he does he gives you a spiritual gift at least one this is how we say it, that you, everybody that is a Christian has at least one spiritual gift. If you don't have a spiritual gift, it means you're not saved. You say, well, I don't know what mine is. And I don't mean to scare you because you do. You have it. You just may not be aware of it. But here's something else about spiritual gifts. As you live your life in Christ, God may lead you to do something, maybe a short-term mission trip or a new opportunity open up, and you need a gift for that that you don't have. You need a spiritual gift in order to do it to the glory of God. In that case, God will give you that gift at that moment. He will. He'll give you a gift as you need it. There'll be things, if you step out in faith going, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to do it. If God has called you to do that thing, God will gift you to do it. And, and so I, 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 I want you to understand that, that, that you may not have all the ones you're ever going to have. But whatever you got, the Bible says in, in the, this passage, I'm not going to read that verse, but it says they are without repentance. If God has given you a gift, you still have it, and it can be activated at any moment. But what is the difference between a gift and a talent? Well, I, I was talking to the musicians before uh, church today, and, and, uh, and, and they were sharing with me uh, about people that are really just naturals at music and people that really work at music. And I, I, I learned that from my sister because my sister can play uh, any keyboard, any song you put in front of her, uh, and has, since I was a little kid, she could do that. And uh, so I 
took music lessons myself and I can read a little bit of music. So I would sit there while she was practicing and, and turn pages for her because you're playing with both hands and you know, you'll see a piano. Going, so to make sure to grab, grab that page and turn. That's four electronic uh, you know, things where you can just hit a button and it moves. And so they'd have to turn the page. So they always, a lot of times you'd have someone sitting there turning pages. So I'd hold that page and I'd look at her head and when she nodded, I'd turn it. And I, I, because I could read a little bit, I knew she was memorizing a score ahead of where she was and always fascinating. It wasn't a little bit, it was a lot. And so one day I was just fascinated and she was doing so well. And I said, man, I really, it's just so cool. God gave you this gift. She said, God didn't give me this gift. It's a talent. I earned this one. I worked for this. Well, excuse me, you know, you little ungrateful girl, you know, she wasn't great. I said, what do you mean? And she said, I worked for this. I don't, this doesn't come naturally. And she did. She went 12 years piano lessons, five years of organ lessons. I mean, she could play those big three-tier things, you know. If you're watching, Rethel, good job. Um, and, and, and she said, I worked at this. Well, I realized there's a difference between a talent and a gift. And so I began to wonder, well, what is her gift? And I learned what it was later. It's teaching is her gift. She's a nurse and plays piano at church. But her gift is teaching. Guess what she does? She teaches kids music or has taught kids music. She taught nurses how to nurse. She was a nursing instructor. And she teaches people through music, period, at church. So she exercised the gift of teaching through music and nursing. So there's the difference. She's gifted in the sense that she has a talent in nursing, has a talent in music, but her gift is to share that in teaching and help other people to do it. So your gift is not a talent. So you may be talented at something, but that, don't mistake that with your spiritual gift. The, the gift is a supernatural ability to, do, to accomplish something that God wants you to accomplish. And in the first few verses of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, there's, there's some groundwork there to lay down. And, and by the way, let me, before I get into that, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul makes a statement to the Corinthian church. If you don't know anything about the church at Corinth, it was full of sin. It was the most sinful church uh, in, in the New Testament. They were, they were doing things that I, they would shut me off for saying. Uh, they shut me off on Facebook for saying. It, it's just not good stuff. And in the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians, you find an amazing statement. I thank God that you do not come short of any spiritual gift. This church had all the spiritual gifts, yet they were living immoral lives. And so two chapters later, Paul says, but I've got to speak to you as babes, as spiritual babes in Christ. He said, you're babies. You're acting like babies. You're not a mature Christian. And so I don't want you to get confused. If you have your gift and you're using it, it makes you mature. No, that means you're aware and you're using your gift. Maturity comes from knowing God. And that's, we'll talk about spiritual uh, fruit of the spirit next week. And that helps mature us. And so, uh, but look at chapter 12, verse 1. Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed so Paul is telling us that we ought to know what our uh, know about spiritual gifts we ought to understand this subject we're not out of bounds to know what it is and, and do that uh, but again that is it's not the most important thing but it is something that Paul says you should know this you should understand this because it will help in your attitude toward others I'll show you that as we go along and secondly here's the big deal gifts will never deny Christ you cannot be speaking in the power of a gift of the Holy Spirit or doing anything that does not glorify Christ. It, it, there's, when you use it selfishly, you're not glorifying Christ. It says here in verse uh, 2, uh, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one 
speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if someone is out there and they sound religious, but Jesus is not who the Bible says he is. He's not Lord of Lords, King of Kings, God of Gods, none beside him, no other living one but him, then they're wrong. And, 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 and if anybody says Jesus is not the Son of God or they curse Jesus, that is not the Spirit of God. In fact, if you go in, in any church uh, or so-called church and, or any place you hear a guy speaking and he's speaking especially on spiritual matters and you know that that is contrary to the Bible, here's what I challenge you to do. Just in your mind or heart, you don't have to even say it out loud. You might mutter it under your breath. Just say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus came in the flesh. Jesus is God. You can shut down a whole church service doing that if they're not operating in the power of the Spirit. I, I promise you. And so he says, test those spirits. Try those spirits. Don't believe every spirit because these Corinthian people are off into wrong things. And he says, listen, you guys, you need, to, you need to understand this, that the spiritual gifts come at the name and the power of Christ. And so if you're speaking in the, name, in the power of the Spirit, you're never going to say Jesus is accursed or be opposed to who he is and what he did. And you will never be able to say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit enables you to do that. And... So that's an important thing to understand as we look at the rest of it. So let's look at where gifts come from. And that's verses 4 through 11 in, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, there is one source of spiritual gifts, but there's a variety of gifts. And, and I think you understand that. very first thing it says in verse 4 is there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit, but there's a variety of gifts. In fact, in verses 4 through 6, we see four things about the variety of gifts. We see they have variety. They come from the Holy Spirit alone. There's a variety of service, and there's a variety of activity. And we can read that there. There is a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activity, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And so... There we find out that all the gifts that are in the church come from the Holy Spirit, from one source. Why would the Holy Spirit give multiple gifts, not only that, but multiple services of those gifts? In other words, multiple ways of using them to help others and a multiple number of activities where the gifts can be. Well, because he does not enable any one man to be superman. When man makes a hero, he makes Superman. He makes a guy can do anything, you know, leap the tallest building, faster than a locomotive, able to, you know, have bullets bounce off his eyeballs, you know, just amazing thing. God sent a baby. There's a great song. It says, we were looking for glory and he showed us a cross. We were looking for heroes and he showed us the lost. That's what Jesus is all about. That's what God is all about. And so... We have an interdependence. We need each other. You with me? And there's no reason to be jealous of someone else's gift because God gave you a gift. Whatever it is. I have a very visible gift. And we tend to, we live in a celebrity culture. We tend to elevate, you know, the musicians, the people that speak and all that stuff. Listen. If you don't think cleaning bathrooms is an important service to the church, let's just not clean the bathrooms from now on. Oh, it is important. I can tell by your nervous laughter. Yeah, of course it is. 
Absolutely it is. And that is an honorable thing to do when you do it to the glory of God and as if you were doing it for Christ. Because you're doing it for his body. You're serving his bride. And Jesus is like, thank you for serving my bride. And so God gives us a variety of gifts so no one person has to do it all. And so doing it, we do it cooperatively together. We become that one person in Christ, that one body in Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And God doesn't give us gifts in order for us to use them selfishly he gives them for the building up of the church notice verse 7 it is for the common good he says in verse 7 to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good now I keep using that word manifestation I'm reading it in the bible and when I was a kid I didn't know what that meant and and I was an adult before I really understood it when something is manifest it means it was kind of hidden and now you can see it so God gives a gift, that's a hidden thing. When it manifests, that means you're using it out where everybody can see it, okay? Just, I, I'm not trying to be insulting. I just want us all to really get a grip on what God's saying. He's saying when we manifest, when we show the spirit that God has given us, it's for the common good. It's not so somebody say, oh, that guy's a hero. Look at that guy. He's, he is just amazing. And, and, and we all do it. We do it, even us that know better. We're like, oh, man, you got to hear that guy preach or you got to hear this person sing. It's amazing. I, I'm struggling with to tell you all the story because I didn't tell it in the first service and I'm not sure I should, but I will. <laughs> no, my dad had Alzheimer's and uh, he, he, he was losing his memory and all those things really fast. The last time he ever got to go to church, I got to go to church with him. And he probably didn't know my name at that point. I mean, he was pretty far gone. But for whatever reason, we went on a Sunday night to the church my sister and brother-in-law still are part of. And, and I, I, I was hesitating because back in those days, you had Sunday morning, Sunday night, right? We, we just kind of don't do that anymore. Well, Sunday night... That's when people that were still learning how to get better would get to do stuff. I'm trying to say this as nice as I can, okay? You know, they might would even let me sing on a Sunday night, but they never did. So there, there you go. So this young man from the choir, he got up, he, he was going to sing a solo that night because he used to have a solo and a special, all that stuff. And he got up to sing, and he wasn't that great. He wasn't horrible, but he just wasn't that great, you know. And we're all like, okay, that's good. And, and, and let, me just, let me just say, here's the attitude you ought to have. Because once I finish the story, I'm not going to want to say this. When somebody offers a service to God, even if it doesn't look good to us, it looks awesome to God. Just go home, look at, on your refrigerator, the art that's on your refrigerator, okay? Well, I won't, I'm about to change stories, so I'm going to not stop myself. So this young man got up to sing, and he didn't sing some, you know, popular song radio. He sang, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. And guess what happened while he was singing? We're on the back row because we didn't know if my dad would do something crazy, start talking or whatever. My dad started singing with him. And my dad can't sing. He's worse singer than me. Not now. He's in heaven, so he's really probably pretty good now. But he sang every word of that song with that young man. And I went, whoa. That guy's using the gift God gave him. And look what a blessing to our family, to my dad, who sang that song with him, word for word for word. The common good. He didn't get up to sing to everybody say how great he was, because he knew he wasn't the best singer in the church. But he got up and used what God had enabled him to do, and it blessed at least this part of the church. 
And so when God gives a gift, he gives it so everybody is encouraged. Everybody is strengthened. Everybody is helped. It is the common good. And that goes all the way through verse 11. He describes a lot of gifts, talks about different gifts. But he comes down to verse 11 and says, All of these things are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We don't get to pick our spiritual gifts. You can ask for them. He says that uh, at the end of the chapter, that you can't ask for the gifts. Doesn't mean you're going to get them because he's going to give it as he wills. And he only gives gifts that are necessary. And, it, and again, it is for the common good. I'm going to come back to that a, a, a little bit later. But don't despise the gift God gave you. In Timothy, Paul talks about that there are many vessels in a household. And by vessels, he meant utensils like plates. I'm going to use the word vase because I'm from South Carolina. I know some of y'all call it a vase, but I'm just a redneck from South Carolina. It's a vase, okay? So you got a vase, you got a plate. And he says some, some vessels are made with honor. Like it's going to hold beautiful flowers or this is your good china. And then you got a big clay pot that you throw your trash in. And he says, can the thing made say to the one made who made it, why'd you make me like this? No. Because that's a, it, that may be important. And if it's important and God made you to do it, then thank God. You, when we get to heaven, I think we're all going to be shocked at the ones that God calls to the front of the line because probably not a lot of people know who they are right now. And probably what they're doing is not seeing where they are. They may be praying for somebody on the other side of the world. And it is, as a result, it's their prayers that God helps somebody on the other side of the world. And they may never even know it with each other. But in heaven, God's going to call them forward. Because he's got spokesmen, mouthpieces. That don't mean we're better. It just means we can talk and God gives us to do it or whatever. But the... But there are people, and if they're not praying, we're just going to fall on our face. It's not us. It's God's spirit and God using other people. And God's going to call people forward in heaven to the front of the line who really put in the work. Who did what was necessary in prayer and serving God. And so whatever your gift is, don't despise it. Because God is going to use you somewhere else in a great, great way. And then... Your gift is necessary for the church. Go to the end of chapter 12 there. And he talks about, is everybody one of these? Is everybody one of those? No, absolutely not. In verse uh, uh, 31, he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts, but I still show you a more excellent way. So he says, you can desire, you know, you can say, man, I'd really like to do that. Maybe God will let you do that. But then he said, let me show you the greater way. Even if I spoke with tongues of men and angels and didn't have love, I'm nothing. Like a, just a high-sounding brass or gonging cymbal. Those gifts are given to us. It's better to act in love and encourage one another than it is to exercise a high gift. That's what he's saying. To encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and, and love them is much more. What did Jesus say? A new commandment I give you. He says, lay down your life for your brother. That's the greatest thing, to love each other, to give up your glory to help someone else. So we have the love chapter. We read it at weddings. We talk about romantic love with it, but it's talking about the body of Christ loving each other. And then I'm going to skip over to chapter 14 there because, again, look at verse 
5, he says, pursue love. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you could prophesy, tell other people about Christ. But verse 5, I want you, uh, he says, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies greater than the one who spoke in tongues, unless someone interprets. So the church may be built up. The word prophecy in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, this is how it worked. If, let's say I'm an Old Testament prophet. God would speak to me, and then I would speak to the people. And so that's written down in the Old Testament. We come to the New Testament, it's the same word, but it works like this. God speaks through his word, and then we apply it to the need. All right, just once you get a hold of that. Because there are people running around getting a new word from God. Well, if you got a new word from God, we got to open up the Bible and put it in there. And Paul said, and the Bible says, if you add anything to this word, the curses of the end are going to be added to you what he said and that you can't take anything away from it can't add anything to it this is it all right so I just want you to understand that so when it, Paul's talking about prophets in the New Testament he's talking about hearing the word of God and, and Paul was in the midst of hearing from God and writing it down because God did give the gift of prophecy to some men in the new, at the beginning of the New Testament in order to complete the revelation of God to us but I want you to notice the last phrase in there I need to just tell you that so you understand what he's talking about but the last phrase it says so the church may be built up when you exercise your spiritual gift you make the body grow because you are one part of the body you following me and we need all the parts of the body I am missing a part of my body I'll tell you what it is I took a sip so you'd have time to guess I'm missing insulin-producing cells in my pancreas. And my body killed those. My immune system killed them. That's kind of sad. But it makes me not be able to function the way people without that condition function, right? God is able to recreate what is needed. In fact, there, there's a man that figured out how to do that in the human body because you know what he figured out? That the whole human body comes from one cell. I mean, it's just common sense. We all know this. We learned this in science in elementary school, high school. But this doctor about 30 years ago thought, you know, when a baby's conceived, that's just one cell in there and it starts dividing. And those dividing cells become hair and eyes and ears and feet and teeth and noses and fingernails and whatever. And he had this question in his mind, what makes a cell become what it becomes? There's something in that human body, there's something that is there that triggers that cell to grow into what it's supposed to grow into or what it's going to grow into. And it all came from one cell. Never thought about that? So he said, I want to figure out how to cure diabetes because something will trigger the body to take a stem cell and turn it into, it's called an islet of Langerhorn, into an insulin-producing cell. And he did. It exists, it just they've not given it to us yet. But it's out there. It's a protein. He can give you an injection every day for a month. My body would grow new islets of Langerhorn and I wouldn't be a diabetic anymore. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Guess what? That's what God does in this body. He makes what needs to be there. And there shouldn't be any deformities in the body of Christ like I have. In the old days, here's how we did church. We'd create ministries. And then every year you got to get somebody 
to run that ministry. Right? And, and they're valuable, nothing wrong with them. But some wag said it's the unwilling to appoint, I mean, or it's the uh, something, to appoint the unwilling to do the unnecessary. I figure if we don't have anybody to do it, we shouldn't be doing it. Just don't have to do it. And then somebody says, why aren't we doing that? Because so, nobody stepped up to do it. And, well, I think we ought to do it. Well, then you want to lead it? <laughs> well, no. Well, then why are you worrying about it? Well, I think somebody ought to do it. Well, then obviously God's talking to you. You do it. Right? So we, we send out things every year. Hey, where do you think God wants you to work? We, we're asking you, where, where, what do you want to see happening? Where would you be willing to apply your gifts so the body is built up? See, when I, when I lift weights, it tears down my, my, the, that particular muscle, but the result is it builds up the body. And as you exercise your gift, you're going to get worn out a little bit. That's why you got to keep coming back to the source and being built up yourself in the word and prayer and fellowship and all those things. But then the whole body gets built up as you use your gift and enable the whole body to exercise what God wants us to do. And God has every body, the little individual bodies of Christ, the, the, the churches, the local visible assemblies of the body. He's given them a task and he gives them the gifts in that church to do the task that they've got to do there. And when something changes, it's because he's got a task and he needs new people in there to do it. Or he may give the same people in there, give them new gifts to get it done. But the question is not how are you gifted. The question is what does God want done and has he gifted us to do that? And the answer will, once you figure out what God wants you to do, you'll figure out, oh, he's already given us the gifts. I've seen people join church and I go, I'm not sure why they're joining. And then later on you get this opportunity to go, that's why he sent that person in here. Because they know exactly how to do that. That's great. And so we operate better when we understand that, when we operate in the power of our gifts. And when your gift's different than mine, I go, praise God. Because if we were all the same, somebody would be unnecessary. So I, I just love different people. <laughs> because if everybody's like me, I'd be bored. I'd be scared, but I'd be bored. I love it when somebody is different and God has gifted you differently because I know I'm going to be built up when you exercise the gift God gave you. And in fact, he emphasized this down in verse 12 of chapter 14. He, he, he says more than, than to just desire it. He says more than just to do it. Look at verse 12. He says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. You ought to be fighting to build up the church. You ought to be saying, I want to be the lead dog. You know, if you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. I want to be the lead dog to build up the body of Christ. That's what he says. Strive to want to do that. Because that's the point. I'm a church guy. All right. We were talking about OCC, the Operation Christmas Child. You know that Franklin Graham and, and Samaritan's Purse, they will not work through a government agency or, uh, or anything else. They themselves are a parachurch organization, but they only will work with a church. They'll only work through a church. Wherever they go and distribute those boxes, churches distribute those boxes. Because Jesus died for the body of Christ. And you may have a good idea outside of the church, but that's not God's idea. God's idea was the church. And you'll never get better than that. 
God says, I got plan A, the church. If plan A fails, I'll fall back on plan A. He will ensure that the church will succeed if we would just stop ourselves, humble ourselves, get before and say, what is the task for us? And we would have everybody organize around that one task. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And I can tell you in general what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be winning Stanton to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're to be discipling those that are saved that he gives us into this fellowship in order that they might help us do that task. That's, that's the church. It's in, in a whole. That's what we're to be doing. And so gifts can be bad if they're not used to build up the church. In fact, it will even discourage some people from being saved. You see that in verse 17 of chapter 14 in, there, uh, in that verse. He says, for you may be given thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. He's talking about people speaking uh, a, a gift of tongues, but they're saying it out loud in front of people that don't know what they're saying. And he says, you may be praising God in yourself, but it doesn't help the church. It's better to stop speaking tongues and say it in the language everybody understands. Just stop yourself and say, thank you, Lord, for doing this. This is great. And everybody goes, yeah, that is great. Praise the Lord. But if you're speaking in a language nobody gets, you know, if Justin over there spoke, stood up and started speaking in the African language, we'd all be going, oh, I bet that's good, but I don't know what you're talking about. And so Paul says, so, so don't do that. Do, do what everybody can understand to build up the body. And then at the end of the chapter, or later in chapter 23, 25, not the end, he, he says, if a guy comes into your building and a lot of stuff's going on that they don't get, they're going to think you're crazy. But if you're preaching what the word of God in the language they can understand, you're giving the Holy Spirit a chance to bring conviction into their life so that they can be saved. In other words, if I have a gift I really enjoy, but it doesn't build up the body and I'm just exercising it, some guy sees me and goes, man, what's wrong with that guy? You know? But at the same time, if I let the Spirit use me in a gift to use the gift that everybody does understand and my purpose, I'm striving to build up the body. When the lost person comes in and sees us worshiping God and serving God and exercising our gifts, they go, man, I want to join up with that. I want to know what that's all about. What kind of God could give that many, much variety of people the ability to act like one unit? Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And so we don't want to discourage people. Well, what can we do this week? First of all, just think of a situation where God would have you exercise your spiritual gift. Where, where could you use You say, I don't know what my gift is. I, okay, we'll help you with that if you need it. But where do you think God, where you see a need is probably where God wants you to use your gift. You know, so I, a lot of people come and say, Pastor, I think we ought to be doing this. Well, that's good. I'm obviously not gifted to it because I didn't see it. So why don't you do that? And that's when you get, oh, I don't want to do it. I just think we ought to be there. Well, who's we? <laughs> Got a frog in your pocket? What are you talking about? No, the body, and we can bring it to the body. What's the body want to do? Let's do that together. And, 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 and so you understand what I'm saying. Where you see a need is where God wants you to be working. And so thank God for giving you the gift to handle that. Because if you see it, God's going to gift you to do it. I just believe that. And the third thing I would say is, Thank God for, that he did give you a gift. I'm telling you, if you're saved, you got at least one because he gave you one. But he'll give you what you need at the moment when you need it. And so you need to understand that as well. 
So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you that we can call you Father. I thank you that you are a holy God, that you have taken care of us, that you have done miraculous work in us, that you've gifted us to do your will.